What's the meaning of life? We've likely all asked this question at some point, and King David was no exception. Welcome to Through the Bible. Today we'll examine David's answer and so much more as we travel through Psalms 39, 40, and 41. I'm your host, Steve Schwetz, and in just a few minutes, our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, tells us about the futility of life without God, and then contrasts that with the new song of redemption sung by those who are trusting the Lord. It's a great study, and we got a lot of ground to cover, so let's pray and hit the road. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have together around your word. And as we study, Lord, help us to treasure you more than anything else this life has to offer. May we want to please you more than we want anything else. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's our study in Psalm 39 through 41 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we come today to the 39th Psalm. And this is quite a remarkable psalm because it reveals to us the frailty and the weakness and the littleness of humanity. It reveals the vanity of human existence, as this psalm will set it before us. This is a psalm that has been used at funerals a great deal, and it can be used there properly. So, And there have been those that have considered it probably the most beautiful of all elegies in the Psalter. And Dean Peroni says the holy singer had long pent up his feelings, and though busy thoughts were stirring within him, he would not give them utterance. He could not bear his bosom to the rude gaze of an unsympathizing world. And he feared lest, while telling his perplexities, some word might drop from his lips, which would give the wicked an occasion to speak evil against his God. And when at last, unable to repress his strong emotion, he speaks to God and not to man. It is as one who feels how hopeless the problem of life is, except as seen in the light of God. And he talks of this frailty and sinfulness and weakness and littleness of mankind with deep conviction here. And very candidly, human life is without doubt the most colossal failure in God's universe. And apart from a relationship with God, friends, it's rather meaningless. All is vanity. That's what You have to say, under the sun. Without the Son of God, it means nothing at all. Now, we notice something new in this psalm. It is a psalm of David, of course, but it's to the chief musician, even to Jeduthun. And who's Jeduthun? Well, it's apparently dedicated to him. Maybe he wrote the music for it. At least he was the one who played it. That is, he's one of the three musical directors or choir directors that there was in connection with Israel's worship. Asaph was another, and Heman. In other words, David had associated with himself. He was the sweet singer of Israel, and he had associated with him these men. Now, will you notice this psalm? It's a beautiful, lovely thing. He said, I said... I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth 
with a bridle while the wicked is before me. David said, this is a subject I would rather not talk about with the man of the world. He wouldn't quite understand it. And so David says, I put a zipper on my mouth. And he says, I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. But he wanted to say something. And finally, he just opens his heart before God. And he says, my heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burn. Then spoke I with my tongue. But who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the Lord. Listen to him. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Frailty of man. He said, what's the purpose of life? What is it that gives meaning to life? That's probably the thing that this new generation, this young generation today has come up with, and they've done it with a bang. They've asked the question, because after World War II, that generation, my generation, just wanted to settle down in peace and have a nice little bungalow and a car in the garage, two cars and a chicken in the pot. We wanted to live in an affluent society and shut our eyes to everything, escape responsibility, and we got tied up in traffic snarls. We got under tension and all that sort of thing, and the young generation came along, even in Christian homes, and they looked around and they said, is this what life is all about? That's what David is saying here. What is the meaning of life? My friend, Christians can live today in such a way that there's no meaning to life. And this is good for fathers and mothers today. Are you living your life as a Christian in a way that you're turning your child on to Jesus? Are you turning him off to everything? There's many a little godless children running up and down this country today that's got in a lot of trouble. And he came out of a good home. We say it's a good home, and to all outward appearances it is. But you see, the young person looked at that and said, there's no meaning in the way they're living. This is a tremendous psalm here. And he said, Lord, make me to know mine end. Give me purpose and meaning, and to measure my days what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. That means stop, look, and listen. Think this over, friend. The brevity of human life down here ought to tell us something. Actually, if this life is all that there is, I'm very frank to say that human life is a colossal failure. I'd rather be a dinosaur. I'd rather be a redwood tree and hang around a little while. May I say to you that if this life is all, man's life is just a handbreadth, this psalmist says. Verse 6, Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Thackeray, and he was a Christian, wrote a novel called Vanity Fair. I enjoyed that a great deal. What a brilliant satire it is. This little group of people, little clique, they had their status symbols, played their little part, committed their little sins that were awful, a stench in heaven, 
and they lived and died and had their littleness and their bickerings and all of that. And that's life, friends. May I say to you, surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. And just think of the Christians today that gather a fortune down here. And some don't gather maybe so much, but they leave it to be spent by godless children or offspring or relatives. And they get it. Or they give it to the wrong thing in Christian work. By the way, we see a great deal of that today. And the psalmist saw that. He said, what's the purpose of it all? And listen to him now, verse 7. And now, Lord... What wait I for? My hope's in thee. He's turned now to God. Friends, you don't turn to him, you're not going to find the meaning to life. I'll tell you that. Listen to him, verse 8. Now deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I want to be a good example, David says. I was dumb. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. He said, I didn't want to express my thoughts to the crowd. They're rather pessimistic, are they not? He says, remove thy stroke away from me. I'm consumed by the blow of thine hand. And he was feeling the discipline of God in his life. And it was for a purpose. Oh, my friend, today, to get a proper perspective of life, the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art to dust returning was not spoken of the soul. Man today is going on a long journey. Eternity's out yonder. What glorious anticipation there should be. Now he closes, verse 12, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I'm a stranger with thee and a sojourner, as all my fathers were. Just a pilgrim and stranger down here. My, we like to get in our little corner down here and fix it up and think it's going to be permanent. And we get our little blanket and we get our little false security down here. May I say to you, the best we are, we're a pilgrim and a stranger down here. And that's the way we ought to live this life, friend. Just a pilgrim and a stranger down in this world. And we're journeying. We seek a city whose build and maker's God. Oh, to have a hope. And the psalmist says, My hope is in thee. And now listen to him here. Oh, spare me that I may recover strength before I depart and am no more. He says, Enable me in my life down here to so live that I'm going to cause men and women to think of eternity and that I'll not turn men off from God, but I'll draw them to God. We hear a great deal today about personal witnessing, but what about our lives? Are people turning to God because of the way we are living, or are they turning away from God? And I'm confident they're doing one or the other. Maybe we better move on. This is a tremendous psalm, is it not? Now we come to the 40th psalm, and we have here two messianic psalms, that will conclude this section here, the first section, the Genesis section. And they're very wonderful psalms, and the reason they're called Messianic psalms is because they're so quoted in the New Testament. And that makes this one especially important, by the way. Now, let me get into it. 
40th Psalm, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. And this is a proper psalm, I think, to follow the 39th. All of these here go together, you know. That is, we had a section in with 39. But there is a continuity that follows through here. And there are those that feel that it's just the experience of David and that it describes his flight from Absalom. And I'm of the opinion that that is accurate as far as it goes. But here is a psalm that is quoted in the New Testament. It's quoted in the epistle to the Hebrews in a most remarkable way. And so we find here that in this psalm he celebrates in praise here, in thanksgiving, the resurrection and the triumph and the ascension. Who's doing that? Well, the Lord Jesus himself. This is truly a messianic psalm, and as we've said, so quoted. He celebrates his resurrection, his triumph, and his ascension. And this reveals that the death of Christ was not actually a defeat at all. It was a great victory. Now, he says, Here I waited patiently for the Lord, and climbed unto me, and he heard my cry. That cry was from the cross, by the way. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, established my goings. The horrible pit. It's called the pit of destruction. And it's the place of agony and death, the place that he went to. You and I cannot even conceive today of how terrible the death of Christ really was. Verse 3, And he hath put a new song in my mouth. Now, here's that mention again of the new song. That's the song of redemption, as we've already seen. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. You see, what are they going to see? Well, they're going to see the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, will you notice... He said, Blessed is that man who maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Blessed is the man that will put his trust in the Lord. And our Lord Jesus was an example in that, by the way. And he says, Many, O Lord my God, are the wonderful works which thou hast done, thy thoughts which are toward us. And God's revealed what he thinks of us by sending his son to die on the cross on this little world. They're arguing today about whether any of these other planets are inhabited or not by creatures, intelligent creatures. Now, if I may just voice an opinion, and I'm no expert, of course, in a field like this, I think they're inhabited. But I'll guarantee you this, there'll not be a cross on any one of those planets out yonder in space. Here's where he put up a cross, and he did it. Why? Well, many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are toward us. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they're more than can be numbered. But he's going to declare one now, and this is the one that is quoted in Hebrews. Will you let me read this now? Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire... Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it's written of me. 
I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not restrained my lips. O Lord, thou knowest. Now, this is quite a remarkable section here. And he goes on to say, I have not hidden thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the congregation. Now, this is really a marvelous psalm that follows the other one that reveals the frailty of man. It reveals the fact that when he came to this earth, we're told, "...sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened." Now, that's a strange thing. So when I go over to the 10th chapter of Hebrews to pick this up, I begin reading at verse 5. And will you notice what is said here? Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Now, wait a minute. Is this a mistake? There are those that would say, oh, here is an error and a contradiction in the Bible. It's not accurately quoted. Well, the Holy Spirit wrote it, and the Holy Spirit has a perfect right to change his own writing. But always note that there's a purpose for it. And so I'd like for you to see something that I think is quite wonderful. You will recall that when we went back in the book of Exodus, we were told in Exodus 21 a law concerning servants and masters. Now, if a man became a slave of another man, at the end of that period, however long it was, he'd go out free. But suppose during that period that he would meet some other slave, a woman, that he fell in love with, and he wanted to marry her. And he did. He had children. Now, when the time for him to go out free, he can go. He can leave. But she can't. She's a slave. He can't leave. Now, what can he do? Well, if he said, I love my wife, I'm not going to leave. He'd go to his master, and his master would back him up against the door post, and he'd take an awl and bore his ear through. That was the thing that was done. And it was something that was quite interesting. Verse 6 of Exodus 21. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Now, the psalmist, when he quotes it, he says, Mine ear hast thou opened. He came down to this earth. And what did he do? Have his ear dig? No, he was given a body. <laughs> he took upon himself our humanity. He identified himself with us, and he became a servant. And he became a sacrifice. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. God didn't delight in all the offerings in the Old Testament. They pointed to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now will you notice something else that is said. Over in Isaiah, we come there to the 50th chapter, verse 5. Listen to this. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. And that verse is in the one concerning the humiliation of the servant that came down to this earth. May I say to you a prophecy of it. Now, the Lord Jesus came down to this earth, became a man, 
went to the cross. His ear wasn't dig. He was given a body, and that body was nailed to the cross. And he's taken a glorified body with nail prints in it back to heaven. And he will bear those nail prints and scars throughout eternity that I might be presented without spot and blemish before him. This, my friend, is a messianic psalm, a psalm that reveals the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd love to stay with this psalm. I want to say a word now in closing about the last one in this section. It's the 41st psalm now. And when we come to it, you'll notice it opens with, "'Blessed is he that considereth the poor.'" And the last verse of it is, "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel.'" And that word we've seen means happy. This section, the Genesis section of Psalms, opened with happy, it closes with it. And we have here a Messianic psalm. And what does it have in it? Well, it has in it the betrayal of Judas. And in verse 9 we read, "'Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me.'" Now, that is the one that is so quoted of Judas and was quoted in John 13, 18. And this was fulfilled in Judas. And that makes this a messianic psalm. But we have something else here. Notice verse 10. But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me and raise me up that I may requite them. We have his resurrection here. Listen to this and raise me up that I may recompense them. You see, in this Genesis section, we've had the death of Christ. We've also had the resurrection. But you see, the death of Christ, and let me make this rather startling statement, the death of Christ saves no one. It's the death and resurrection of Christ that saves. The resurrection is important. What is the gospel? Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, according to Psalms, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That is part of the gospel, the resurrection, and without it there is no gospel. Now today we're seeing again unbelievers talking about Jesus. They all have to have an opinion of him because it's that way. Whom do man say that I, the Son of Man, am? And you've got to have an opinion. And today, even in these modern plays about Jesus, they always leave him on the cross or leave him in the tomb. Thomas Jefferson left him there in his moral teachings of Jesus. He leaves him where it says they rolled a stone. There's no gospel there, my friend. When that stone was rolled away and he came out, that is what we have, the resurrection. Then we can say here in a wonderful way, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting unto everlasting. And we have a double amen. Amen and amen, which means he put the finishing touches on our salvation. And when he rose from the dead, he ascended back into heaven and sat down because he'd finished it for us. And friends, you don't have to add anything to it, but don't take away from the gospel. He died. He rose again. And without that, there is no gospel today. How tremendous this section is. We'll pick up next time with the Exodus section of the book of Psalms. Say, this is great, isn't it? Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Yes, it's true. 
We certainly don't want anyone to add to Jesus' work on the cross, but we should be careful not to take away from the gospel by omitting his resurrection. If you'd like to know more about the salvation that God offers us through Jesus' death on the cross, you can visit ttb.org and click on How Can I Know God? There you're going to find several resources that are downloadable for you to listen to or read. Or if you'd like to receive a couple of these resources by mail, just call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Again, that's ttb.org or 1-800-65-BIBLE. And of course, we always love to hear from you. So write to us today at biblebus at ttb.org or by mail at Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C. 6B1, or leave a message on our Facebook page. Now, as we break from our daily study for the weekend, I invite you to take advantage of more great teaching by Dr. McGee in his Sunday sermon, The Authority of Missions, from Psalm 67. To listen online, find our app, or see if your station carries the Sunday sermon, visit ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you to join me back here next time as we continue our exciting five-year journey through God's entire Word. We're grateful for our committed listening family who faithfully pray and invest in Through the Bible as we together take the whole word to the whole world.